Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Congratulations and welcome to maybe the most cursed piece of media on the internet. One thing out there that should desperately not exist. This is like one of those Slenderman tapes, right? This is this is a thing, a podcast that should never have happened, that is currently being recorded and you are now listening to from the future. This is a real, like... <laughs> this is the this song is... Dance Monkey by Tones and <laughs> What... This podcast is like the rugby equivalent of a creepypasta. This is like a horrible thing that should definitely not exist and is cursed in just existing. Because we are here today to talk about Scotland's 42-0 win over Romania from the 2007 Rugby World Cup. A match that should never have been watched back by anyone. (laughs) This game was not designed for people to watch it after the evening it was broadcast. It's the sort of game where if people are going to watch the highlights back, you go, oh no, just skip them. It's all right. (laughs) Hello, I am a virus. This is now on your device. (laughs) And if you do not delete the podcast you are listening to, you will be forced to listen to two idiots talk about Scotland versus Romania from 2007 16 years after the event, they watched the entire game. If you now open your web browser, there will just be lots of photos of Carly Rae Jepsen. That, that would be good. we have installed on your device. That's not a virus. That's, um... Yeah, like, it's, a very, that's it's a very positive DLC. virus. DLC, yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's like how the vi- like what gave Spider-Man his powers was a virus, sort of, because <laughs> it made him ill. You know, but like ultimately, like once he got over the cold, he had bloody spider powers, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Once he bloody cut to the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, so please, like, usually I'm really, really all for like promoting this podcast and like mm. going like, oh, but stupid, but it's kind of funny how stupid it is, but just don't waste your fucking time. Like we're wasting <laughs> hours. There's a handful of people who sometimes write in saying they like to watch the games alongside, or, you know, they watch the odd one back. This game, no one should. No. You know, like, there's a few thousand people who have watched this on YouTube. All of those people are wrong and or dead. Like, I've got a feeling this is like a thing that gets passed along. Like, it's like the video from The Ring, but <laughs> Sean Lamont's in it. <laughs> you know what's strange, though? Like... There's definitely games we've covered on this podcast that have been worse than this. Like, all of the games from 1987, and like (laughs) a couple of games from this World Cup, and a couple of them from 2011. But yet, this is just... It's just so 3 out of 10. It's like... No, this is... Of all of the games that we've watched for this podcast, the single game where I've gone, why am I watching this for the most... (laughs) Like, this game has an energy that says that it should only ever be watched on the night in question, the 18th of September, 2007, in a pub that allows smoking. (laughs) 
Like, there are no other circumstances under which you are allowed to watch this game. And you should go to the bar at least four times whilst yeah. it's on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's very much it. Like, I don't think it's, like, a terrible, terrible, terrible game. Mm. But if I was at this match, at half time, I probably would have just looked in my pocket, seen how much change was in there, and see how many, how absolutely hammered I could have got in the second half. Oh, it's... It's the kind of game that is so boring you buy a packet of crisps. <laughs> did you so buy you a packet of crisps whilst at. watching this? No, 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 I didn't. I did have a meal while watching this. I had spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, nice. In so the you second half. Away. Yeah, exactly. Pretty good. Yeah. This game took place on a Tuesday night, which yeah, is I thought correct. So. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. I was but worried it would be a Saturday vibe again, of like. But... You know those days when it's like raining outside and it's miserable, and especially I think I remember them from the era when you could smoke in pubs, where they just be like a really in pubs loads. Yes, oh, constantly, constantly. I was the most the smokiest child. <laughs> That's what they call. <laughs> That's me, my favorite the Doctor Who episode child. as well. <laughs> yes, it's an absolutely vintage one. There's a there's a computer virus that just gave you pictures of Canadian singers. Yeah. You had to, yeah. Anyway, the, yeah, the, the game, TARDIS you know, was shaped like Neil Young. It was really strange. Yeah. No, it has the energy of one of those things where you're in like a pub on like a Tuesday night, and they've got like a really terrible football match on because yeah. it's the only sport on the bottom TV. Yeah, you and know? you look up at it and go, okay, and you kind of pretend you're sort of interested because it's like, oh yeah, it's football, but yeah, also yeah, yeah. it's just like nothing's happening. You must have had that where like, you get to the pub before whoever you're meeting, like before yeah. your mates, and there's a football match on, so you get a drink and you sit and watch it for 10 minutes because you know you're early. And it's just a way of blending in, you know, so you don't look yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. on your own for no reason, and it's just a way of passing the time. It's something to do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Especially in the days before smartphones, or early days of smartphones, when you, like pubs didn't all have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so you'd kind of sit and you'd just be like, okay, I'm just going to watch 10 minutes of like Hearts v Celtic in the pouring rain. Yeah. Or just like a top of the Premier League versus middle of the Premier League clash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where just it's quite uneventful. When I was in Belgium a few years ago, there was one like Irish pub in the middle of Brussels which is like a lovely place, you know. Basically, I was like, oh, it's an it's an Irish theme pub, whatever. And I thought it was just like a theme. It was going to be whatever. And I walked in and they were showing hurling. And you're like, oh, fair enough. No, yeah. that, that is an Irish pub. You qualify. Yeah. yeah. But I remember going in there while it was during the Women's Euros, the last Women's Euros tournament. And I just had it on all the time. And I ended up just sitting there looking Definitely. at it because it was like something to do in the middle of the day because it was like yeah. boiling hot. And yeah. I ran out of things to do in it makes sense. Uh, in Brussels. It is the, there is the recommended tourist attraction in Brussels yeah. is going to an Irish bar and watching hurling. It makes sense. Also, yeah. so you tell that story and there is a very, very significant character in that story that you have just described. There's somebody that I'd say that as somebody who's heard that story once, maybe twice, mm. I would say I'm quite well versed in that story. And I'd say the main protagonist in that story is the person that you refer to as I. And I would just like to ask for the listener's perspective. Who is that person? I've been wondering for such a long time. That's part of the reason that I ran away to Belgium was to try and rediscover myself and find out if I am indeed one of the Smurfs by yes, going to the, the Smurf Museum. You watch every single rugby game ever is to discover yes. yourself. I just go through the team sheets at the start and go, that's not me. No, <laughs> no, no. It's like no, guess I could who, be a but you tip the entire board upside down. Yeah. Do I look like Catalan Ferku? No. 
Tinku? That could be me. That could be I could be Marius Tinku. I'm Robbie Osgood, whatever you want to call me. Who are you? So yeah, I've tried to I've tried to figure this You're out. You're Gavin Kerr, right? Similar things. I'm definitely on the opposite team to you. And yeah, yes. I've kind of gone like I'm probably not Simon Taylor. I don't think I'm Jim Hamilton. But again, as you say, like I might I might one day evolve into him. It might be one sure. day that I wake up and I'm in my late thirties, early forties, and just suddenly I look like Jim Hamilton, and that's me. You're just constantly but hanging around Andy Good. As far as I know, at the moment mm. I'm Willow in. Right, the former Leicester flanker. No, we've been over this. Okay, fine. I didn't think we had. <laughs> so, as I say, we're here to talk about Scotland 40 to Romania nil. This is a fixture we covered on the 2011 series, mm. where it was a banger. Like, fantastic series. And 87. And, of course, it's also taking place in this year's upcoming World Cup in 2023. And I tell you what, judging by this game, I'm not looking forward to that at all. No, but it was great in 2011. That's true. Was it good in 1987? I think so. I think actually it was all right, wasn't it? Because it was a good Romanian team in 87. Yeah, and and we had Bill McLaren describing it for us, which made it really good. So I feel like that was that was a good one. This is the thing we've we've talked about this off air quite a lot, but I've largely forgotten everything about the 87 series. <laughs> There's like 10 games I remember from that podcast, and we did 30. Yeah. Three, including one that didn't happen. So that's the the whole thing, is though, because the games are so terrible, but in the exact same way. Yeah, it means that they all became the same thing, and you just become you just watching knock-ons and like fullbacks occasionally entering the lines. Yeah, and occasionally dogs, and occasionally super boot, and otherwise, there's just it's just shit rugby. Yeah. Do you want a stat about this fixture? Yeah. Scotland versus Romania. Yeah, I do. It is. The most common fixtures taking place in the Rugby World Cup, oh. Matt. And no, not the most, that includes a team that has at least once failed to qualify for the Rugby World Cup. Interesting. Okay, I say interesting, that's just a stat. Y- yeah. It doesn't so, mean anything. But... I believe it's the most common involving a Tier 2 nation Yeah, as well. So they just but I haven't Scotland checked all of those fixtures. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do Fiji count as Tier 2? Oh, they play Wales Fiji, every it? single yeah. year, and it boils my. Piss. Do you know what the most common fixture in the Rugby World Cup history was? Uh, is it Wales Australia? It's a draw between Wales Australia and Australia England. Okay. Wales Australia, yeah. providing Australia don't draw England in the quarterfinals, will go ahead during this World Cup. Yeah, that makes. But sense. obviously, Australia England, you know, they've played in knockouts repeatedly. They played in the final in two thousand and three. I do want them to draw each other in this World Cup, though. So Eddie Jones can absolutely yeah. batter them. It's going to be the funniest thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, yeah. Unless England get knocked out by Argentina in the group stage, which would also be really funny. So the other one that's level as well is New Zealand v France, which we've covered quite a lot of. Actually, we've covered yeah. a solid proportion of those games. We've covered almost yeah. half of them now. More to come. Yeah. yeah, we've wait no. So we've covered so far three Australia Walesers and France New Zealand happened twice in one of them. So we covered yeah, that. Okay, yeah. Plus it happened in the final and it happens again in this tournament. So we'll cover that four times. Yeah. Jesus, get this some new teams, mental. rugby. Yeah, rugby. Shut up. But I mean, so one new team, right? Is Romania. This is very much the Romania starts to rebuild after the great team of the eighties and nineties that. You know, it's kind of getting on by the end of the 90s and mm. it's struggling a bit. And they then have to do a grand rebuild. And this is the very start of a rebuild of a team that genuinely, some of them have been going until incredibly, incredibly recently. You've got Florin Vlaikio on the bench, who only retired last year. Which is mad. Yeah. He was You've a got... very young Florin Vlaikio at that point. but 
Yeah, but he was still, you know, there or thereabouts. Catalan Ferku went on a long time. Catalan Ferku only retired over COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Valentine Calafatiano might still be going. I was wondering that. It was literally what I was trying to look up. Mm. Because he played, again, post-COVID. He played since the pandemic. So he's very recently retired. But it's something that will come up in a video. You'll see very soon, hopefully, if you're listening to this. That Romania, essentially, built this squad around an incredible 20s team they had right before this World Cup. And they had this remarkable in the twenties team that like really pushed France, Wales, amongst other teams, and you know had their best ever run in the end twenties world championship. And they went brilliant. You're all great. We're going to build everything around you forevermore. And it was only in the last few years that they've started to move away from that mm. full time. And so it leads to this. If we look at the Romanian team, they named an unchanged lineup from the game against Italy, where you know. They gave it a pretty good go against Italy. They gave them a they game were despite being great. utterly dog shit. Like, yeah, they were great value for what they were. Sure, and they knew what their strengths were, and they played to them, and they managed to keep it to within seven points. Their and come strengths, up with a bonus point. plural. You mean did they have pick multiple Marius Tinkus? They had Marius Tinku, and they had a couple of lads with massive boots. Yeah, that's two strengths. <laughs> well. So we'll talk, we'll start with Julian Dimitrash at fullback for Romania. Yeah. We spoke about him in the last game, the Italy game, and said, look, we both like Julian Dimitrash, think he's an excellent yeah. player who had a very, very successful career. But <laughs> 2007 is long before he came of age looking at these, mm. these games. And literally, you just described a lad with a massive boot. And that's exactly what that's he was. All he is. It's literally all he is. And one great point in this game where Romania are given a penalty about 70 metres from the Scottish goal line. And I've described it like that rather than saying they're 20 metres inside their own half because he goes for touch. And let me tell you, he absolutely well is here, right? It goes, <laughs> yep. it goes absolute miles, but it's nowhere near the touch line and it goes dead. He kicks the ball like 80 metres with the complete antithesis of accuracy. He's just a remarkable presence. And I like that the further this game rolls on, the more and more Romania just lean into going, right, this lad's got one skill that we can rely on. Yeah, if we get this absolutely huge lad we've got wearing number 15 to just send the ball downfield, they've got to then score from miles away, lads. And it's a wonder that he only kicks the ball dead once in this game, doesn't he? <laughs> It's a truly remarkable thing. Yeah. I was expecting it to be constantly in that really empty stand in Murrayfield. <laughs> Bear in mind, the dead ball the dead ball area is famously massive in Murrayfield. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything to say on the Romanian team? Because it's, it's exactly the same 22 that they named for the previous game. So you've got the likes of Marius Tinku there. You've got Soren Sokol as captain, who good player. Yeah, I like him. Tonita at number... Continues at number eight. Tonita and Manta as well in the back row. Yeah. Manta was quite good against Italy. Who I mentally keep mixing up because I always think of Tonita as a seven because he played mm. there later on in his career. Sure. But yeah, both very good players. Both play pretty well in this. Yeah. Catalan Ferku, that all record try score on the wing. Yeah. I think the you other one to keep repeating to yourself, talk about but... is, mm. is, yeah, they keep Ian at Demofte in at 10, who was, you know, pretty good. I think he's a really skillful player alongside Romeo Gonteniak, who is playing in his fourth World Cup at this point at 12. Mm. And I think they know going into this game, that kind of the big one for them is Portugal, because they know they can yeah. get a win. Yeah, definitely. And they targeted the Italy game a bit, I think. And this game was five days later, so they had a really short turnaround. 
not as short as they sometimes can be in Rugby World Cups, but it was still a short turnaround. Yes. And it's one of these interesting things that happens sometimes where you have coaches kind of have two approaches. Either they basically prepare two 15s, know they can throw one in for one game, one in for the other when they've got a short turnaround, or they go, I want you to bag it up, and then you have a nice little rest. So they name an unchanged team. So Eddie Jones tried that against Japan and South Africa. No, against, sorry, for Japan, against South Africa and Scotland. You saw Uruguay and Fiji do the exact opposite during the last World Cup in the... Look, it's there's, there's a couple of approaches. Romania very much go, okay, we're going to try and back this up. We're going to name the same team. Mm-hmm. And notable that most of the players played 80 minutes over the course of that first game. Yes. So you had... They made their first change other than Tingu, who was going off for blood repeatedly and, you know, and kind of injuries off, in his HIA. Went off, yeah, went off Repeatedly concussed. concussed. Five days before like, this. Yeah. Which is a big question mark. Big question mark. I think almost luckily we didn't see nearly as much of Tinku in this game. Yeah. He seems better, but you still question whether he should be able to play. You know, just because he's physically not falling over all the time doesn't yes. mean it's safe for him to be playing. Yeah, exactly. He definitely wouldn't be allowed to play nowadays. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, if in doubt, keep him out. But luckily there's less physical contact involving him in this game. Yeah. Because he was so, so thoroughly just involved throughout the Italy game. Uh, whereas here, it's slightly less the Marius Tinku show, which I'm quite well, grateful for. 16 yeah. Years so in the previous game, right, Romania bring Tozgrav, the loose head, off for six, 64 minutes. Their next change is Tonita comes off at 72. And then the other three changes they make are all in the last play. Or wow. just before the last play. Mm-hmm. So basically that 15 played 80 minutes. Yeah. You know, you're looking at basically everyone played like 79 minutes. That's a two players that didn't. So then they turn around and they're asked to play this length. Yeah. And it's really notable. Yeah. Two Six Nations teams in five days. Yeah. Really notable how early they make so many of the substitutions. So Tinker comes off just after half time. They replace both the halfbacks about 45 minutes. You've then got a bunch more players come off around the hour marker in the 50 minutes. They use all the substitutions, which they very much did not do last time. And they just keep changing the players rather yeah. than which keeping is it on. Because I think you can see approach. they're knackered by the second half. And also, they were never going to come back and win this. Like, no. as negative as it sounds, like as we get into this game, it's going to sound very one-sided. And they've got a full week lead into the Portugal game. So they can afford to rest yeah. bodies a bit and prepare things. I'm looking forward and to also, that. And also, yeah, they make some changes and, you know, in the lead up to that. So yeah, the other thing I want to mention before you look at the Scotland team, right? Yes. Because this game did take place in Murrayfield as part of that deal that yeah. France did, where Wales and Scotland, in order to get their votes, got to play a handful of their games in Murrayfield and the Millennium Stadium. Yeah. And everybody got the memo, the only way to watch this game was in a pub with the music on, <laughs> so you can't hear the commentary. It's absolutely dead in Murrayfield, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There's- there's like five people there. The official attendance, so, according to ESPN Scrum, is 31,222. But... Yes. Is that this, so? Well, I mean, Murrayfield's a big stadium. I know, so and we've watched enough Edinburgh club games there. Yeah. We know that the atmosphere is absolutely dead there when it's not full. And it's amazing when it's packed. This was the smallest attendance, the smallest crowd at a game in this World Cup, not in Montpellier, okay. which, had this, which was the... Montpellier was the stadium with the smallest attendance, sure. you know, the smallest capacity. So it wasn't possible to get yeah. 31,000 people. And presumably you know, they it was caught, a 28,000 you know, seater well. certificate. Yeah. So the games there were like the Tonga Japan game that we okay. covered already. And, you know, games like that took place there. 
and there were a handful of games from that pool as well. So a lot of Thomas games were played there and what have you. So it was the lowest attended game, not in the smallest stadium in the tournament. Okay, fair enough. And to say it was in a major national stadium and also yep. the home team stadium yeah, just showed that's the how strange thing. Yeah, how little impact these games being moved away had because it meant it was cut off from the World Cup atmosphere completely. Yeah. It meant you're in this completely different zone. You weren't in the bubble of the World Cup. But also, we've talked about it before, the ticket prices. Because the ticket prices oh, here were the highest they'd ever been at Murrayfield. This was no. the most expensive game to follow as a Scottish rugby fan. Right, okay. Do you have the prices so, for you? tickets started around the £40 mark. Okay. And that's why there was absolutely nothing in terms of atmosphere, because all the front yeah. seats were empty. So you adjust that for inflation as well. Yeah. And I think it's very telling that all of the tickets taken were in the middle blocks. There was nothing around the outskirts. Yeah. So presumably they didn't sell the cheaper tickets on. They just sold those kind of starting at, let's say, 40-odd quid. If no one's buying those seats, then, you know, I believe the quotes with it being the most expensive tickets, it was the most expensive, cheapest tickets available. Okay, yeah. So, like, the top-end seats, if you wanted to see them play the All Blacks or play England in the Six Nations, were high, had been higher in the past. Yeah. But it was the most expensive, cheapest available tickets. Which is mental. For Scotland. Yeah. Yep. To play against Romania is... On a and Tuesday night. Imagine you've spent £40 of your hard-earned money to sit and watch this from the back. Yeah. And again, adjust like, that for inflation. Just for inflation, yeah. that's like a hundred odd quid. Yeah. You know? That's bloody absurd. Yeah. To see Gavin Kerr play against Romania. <laughs> yeah, quite. And the thing is, because it's quite a high scoring game, you know, 42 points in a test match is pretty good. But then you've got to think about all the stuff that happens in between the tries being scored. And it's just mm. very uneventful all in all. It's really interesting because as the teams run out, John Taylor on the commentary says that Scotland are probably in for a tough test here. And that's just not the case. I think he'd seen the Italy game, in fairness, and gone, okay, they gave them a game. They'll probably be, mm. like, physical and tough and what have you. But Romania were also it's... shit in that game. Yeah, but they were hard. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Sometimes that's all but you that's need the to thing, be. Like, exactly, about this Romania team, right, is, like, some of them are talented players who are not yet good. Yes. Some of them have massive boots, and some of them are just really hard blokes. Some of them watched Stefan Constantine in 1987. Yeah, and were like, you know what, I like the cut of that guy's jib. <laughs> exactly. And his identical twin brother, or whatever yeah. he was. So, yeah, we've said this game gets quite one-sided. Should we look at said one side? We should, yeah, look at the Scotland team. Yeah. Because... <laughs> this if is... You're like, a fan okay, of this era of, of Scotland. Of, the, of all of the teams in this World Cup, that in all World Cups, I've been excited to watch back, <laughs> right? You've got the 2015 All Blacks we'll get to one day. We've looked at the 87 All Blacks in the past. We looked at the, the 80s Australian side. We're seeing in this World Cup kind of... The, the, the seven spring box, yeah. Of, yeah, well, the vinegar strokes of the England team for 2003. Mm. We've got, yeah, like a vintage spring box team here with Matfield and Boater and Smith and all the rest of them. We're going to get to look at the Uruguay team of 2019 at one day. <laughs> I was so excited to see another one of the all time great teams, the 2007 Scotland team. <laughs> As the most mediocre looking rugby team on paper oh, you'll ever see. I have to do. 
is read through the names. <laughs> and everyone listening at home will burst with excitement, right? You'll you'll get it instantly, right? You don't even need to think about what they're like as rugby players. You just need to hear the names and go, I'm not inspired by those names. Craig Smith. <laughs> yeah, Craig. Scott McLeod. Gavin Kerr. Jason White. Dan Parks. Rob Dewey. Simon Webster. You know, Mike Chris Blair, Patterson Westford. on the wing. Nicky Walker. Leave Mike Blair out of this. Now, Mike Blair's great, but I'm not inspired by his name. Hugo. Hugo Salgol. Yeah, him. Hugo what, goddamn Southwall. Hugo, Hugo Salgol? Hugo Salgol. Hugo Salgol. Jason Siegel. So, Mickey Walker. Honestly, it's like, it's an incredible <laughs> lineup. It's just like, it is man for man, one of the greats. I mean, this is honestly such a, Magnus League standard two. Yes, exactly, exactly. Look, we're good friends with the guys at the Scottish Rugby Podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine that they would be absolutely frothing over the mediocrity that is this team. Those guys, <laughs> yeah. like, this is the complete epitome of naughty Scotland and Simon we've Webster. This. We've had days where we're up at 3am running over Dragons teams from 2009, you know? This is the equivalent because it is man for man, so 5 out of 10. <laughs> it's the fact that, like, at some point, Scotland have just gone, right, okay, lace your boots up, lads, we're sending out Simon Webster to play against the All Blacks. Like, go, go on, go beat them. Simon Webster was a talented player at magnus league level yes he was a great try scorer at magnus league level exactly it's just good luck against the dragons here's the thing right we're looking back on this 15 years down the line there was a point in which scotland went yes this is our best team to win a game of international (laughs) rugby this was as good as it got for them at the time it's mad and like it does say how far rugby in general, as well as Scottish rugby, has come. That like you look at players like Ross Thompson, who can't make the team now, and like yeah, Jamie yeah. Dobby, who's a young, uncapped, like you know, promising player, and you know players like that who are currently playing for Edinburgh and Glasgow. And it is promising that those guys can't make the team when these guys were literally the guys sent out to win games of international so- rugby. I'm going to run through their backline, right? Yes. You've got Mike Blair at nine. Great yeah. player. Yeah, Mike Blair's Mike great. Blair. One line Has a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Or made a Lions squad. Yeah. Uh, didn't get off the bench. Did he not? Oh, okay. Was no. he in the test squad in 2009 and just didn't get on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, because... Because um, everyone went in 2005. That doesn't count. Yeah. In the end, Ross Ford was the only Scots to play in the test series. Okay. Fair enough. And rightfully so. Good old Ross yeah. Ford. Yeah. Mike Blair was on the bench for one of the games and didn't get on. Yeah. So, but that counts. You know, you made the yeah, 23. That's absolutely huge. Test. You know, that's, that's as the next, that's the second biggest achievement you can achieve in British yeah. rugby. And outside him, he had playing Dan Parks' left foot. Yes. You had Dan Parks at 10. You then had in midfield Rob Dewey at 12, who <laughs> is. A rugby player that happened. And according to this commentator, the largest man who has ever, ever lived. Yep. He was just constantly in awe of how absolutely huge Rob Dewey was for some reason. Do you remember the Nintendo Wii game, Dewey's Big Adventure? <laughs> of course I don't. No. It was a game on Wii that we, we never had. 
but okay, there we you know, go. I never played it, but I remember it happening. I remember it existing. I remember being like really fascinated by it, where you played as like a drop of water, and you had to like tilt around maps and stuff, and it was like a platformer where you played as some water, and you had to like like a drop of water called Dewey, and you had to like tilt around the map. <laughs> it and, sounds like, dreadful. Do stuff. It probably was. Uh, it was made by the team that made. Uh, do you remember LEDs, LEDs, Elebits, which we Vaguely. had on Wii? Vaguely, yeah. Which was, was that like about a like sort you play as like a piece of thing. electric? Electric. You had to like collect the little electric guys that okay. were always like little guys that like powered all of electricity. Mm-hmm. You had to like catch using like the the Wii thing as like a zapper gun thing. Okay, and you could like move objects around using like a gravity gun. I remember it being good fun. I remember liking it. And I remember the opening cutscene having a guy, like, kid voiceover going, My name is Kai, and I hate LEDs. Oh. <laughs> and oh, it was about a, a kid who hated them. Oh. Uh, I've just Googled Dewey's Adventure. Because I've, look, every time I think of Rob Dewey, I, I completely forget this game. Except for when I think about Rob Dewey. <laughs> There's something, like, inexplicably linked. From the, this game came out in 2007. Oh, wow. Do you think they named it after the biggest so Scotland centre in history? Sean Lamon. I mean, the only uh, Rob Dewey. possibility is, yeah, that was a tie-in game where you played as Rob Dewey as a <laughs> bit of water. <laughs> this is uh, where there's going to be a new Nintendo Switch game called Two of Pilotto's Big Adventure coming out yeah. later this year. <laughs> there was a... So the American version of Dewey's Big Adventure, which is just Dewey's Adventure in America. <laughs> it was called Lysike's was... Big Adventure. Well, all, yeah. all of it was like branded so instead of just being a drop of water he was from a nestle aquapod bottle of water oh my god so they they put product, so they placement, into this product shit. placement into this i mean in fairness they kind of did that with the scottish national rugby team to try and sell tickets for their game against romania but nobody in the world could afford both tickets to that and dewey's big adventure on the nintendo wii so because they're so, both so expensive yeah so here's the thing, right? Here's what we've got to do. We've got to at some point try and play Dewey's Big Adventure <laughs> and see if it is anything like the experience of watching Rob Dewey, yeah. a man see who can run hard accurate. in a straight line. Yes. Yes. And you know what? Like, he, he could catch a ball and not lose it in contact. And they, they were his talents. And fair play <laughs> Honestly, to Honestly, it's a point of difference in the Scotland team, yeah, not exactly. losing it in contact. In Scotland, a Scotland team 15 years either side of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Dewey's Big Adventure for anyone counting is £3 on the CEX website, so... Oh, wow. We can do that. We can. How much is a retrospective ticket to go to this game? Like, if we were to buy a ticket now for this game, how much would it cost? Genuinely, I had a look at that earlier. Uh, A quid. (laughs) (laughs) A a ticket for this game sold for a quid on eBay. if you're enjoying this podcast, you have to sign up for a quid on the Squid Rugby Patreon, because that's what you would have paid to go to this game that we're or, now describing for you. Yeah, or you just go and buy a drink in a pub. Or do <laughs> Closest that. pub to you. Yes. Just go and buy a drink now. Yeah, because that will help get you through this. Simon Webster playing at 13. Yes. Oh, so we talked about the him. Bloody, the team makes absolutely no sense from here on out, <laughs> right? So Rob Dewey at 12. Fine. Grand. He was a big lad. He could carry hard. Whatever. Mm. It worked at this time. You had Chris Patterson on the wing with Rory Lamont at fullback. That confuses the hell out of me. Chris Patterson on the wing is an era that we missed as rugby fans. I think we grew up with Chris Patterson sort of 2008, 9, 10-ish. And you know what remained of his Scotland career thereafter. So 
we we came into Chris Patterson, and I think this is the correct view of Chris Patterson. He's an out-and-out fullback who is extremely yes. solid under the high ball and an extremely accurate goal kicker and would just do the simple fullbacky things very well. Yeah, made great cover tackles, you know, did the basics. Yes, and when I heard that he had played a little bit at fly half, I was like, I guess I'd, it makes sense why they'd try it and it wouldn't work because he was a really good goal kicker. And clearly they thought, well... You know, it translates. There's tr- there's transferable mm. skills and so on. But eventually it didn't work and they moved him back to fullback. Like, that made sense to me, but it was always like, yeah, but it was always going to be the case that he isn't a fly half or any other position. Well, this was a big kind of controversy leading into this World Cup. Mm. Was that Frank Haddon had basically decided a few months out, like between the Six Nations and the World Cup, he actually wanted to view Chris Patterson as a fly half and wanted to look at him as a fly half. And they were like, we, he's basically not played there. He can barely do it. He sort of knows he's got to stand closer, but that's about <laughs> it. And so it was a massive problem and they kept trying to put him in in the warmups. And then obviously he got some game time there in the previous game. And so he doesn't play there. He plays on the wing in this game instead. And that's the weird Which is thing. even more bizarre. Yeah, because Chris Patterson was. Growing up, one of my favourite players. I absolutely Mm. loved watching him. Mm. And watching him back for this podcast, I think, yeah, it's great to watch Chris Patterson. He's a good pundit these days. You know, I always enjoy it when he's on telly. I'm a fan of Chris Patterson. Yeah. But he's not known for his speed. His out-and-out gas on the wing isn't what you associate with Chris Patterson. Whereas Rory Lamont is a guy that I associate for his speed. I look at and go like, oh, he's a good broken field runner. Yes, and mad 5G conspiracy theories. (laughs) That's also true. And maybe that was part of the reason why those two were the other way around. I don't know. There's presumably some kind of logic has gone into it because I'm aware it's not as simple as fast guy goes wing, slower guy who kicks well goes fullback. It's not always that simple, you know, but... But wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, you've got, like, Angie Capuzzo playing fullback with Edwani Padovani on the wing now. Like, mm. Juan Cruz Malia playing fullback with Emiliano Buffelli playing on the wing. Like, I guess this is still sometimes a thing. But here I just can't figure it out. It stinks of that time during the Rob Howley stepping in for Warren Gatland days where they, for one game, swapped Lee Halfpenny and Liam Williams. So Halfpenny was on the wing and Williams was at fullback. Yeah. Just because they're like, oh, it's going to give us more attacking impetus. Yeah, because Wales Online have been asking for it for about three years. Yeah. <laughs> And they picked the team that week against Tonga or whatever it was. Japan, I think. Japan. But they did it once and that was it. Yeah. And they were like, no, nah, let's just never do that and again. the thing is, it was completely <laughs> fine in that game, but Wales were shit, so. Yeah. But that was going to happen anyway. Wales were always shit. So Patterson was off to Gloucester after this World Cup. Oh, yeah. Just for like a jolly, you know, he wasn't, he hadn't <laughs> yeah. signed for them or anything. No, but. I mean, so he didn't play much because of injuries and bloody, bloody, blah, blah. But do you think they were like, no, we, we can't have him. We, we've signed him as a winger. We want him as a... We signed him and Leslie Vanicolo for this season. <laughs> you know, we need we need those two as our deadly wing options. Yeah, gas out wide. Yeah. <laughs> so they can move Simbad into 13. Oh, what a player James Simpson Daniel was, by the way. I know. Charlie Sharp was there at the time as well. Yeah, but he was like... Only like 25 at that point. He had like 20 years left on his rugby career. Yeah, and he had hair, which is not quite right. But yeah. 
So yeah, Simon Webb is at 13. Sean Lamb is on the wing. It's a mad Scottish team. Doesn't really make any sense. Nicky Walker and Hugo Southall on the bench, which yeah. is a decision they made. And Hugo Southall, by the way, comes on with his white Scotland away jersey on, with bright purple sleeves and bright orange fingerless gloves made by Simon Webster. And it is the weirdest look I've ever seen on an international rugby field. All he needed was a pink scrum cap just to the top only, it off. The only thing that makes it look weird is the fact that Hugo South was playing international rugby. Yes, yes. Or Hugo, Hugo what was it, Hugo Sil- Siegel? Hugo Siegel. Hugo Siegel. Hugo Siegel. It's like a Moppetop shop character. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, should we move in the general direction of the game? Yeah, we might as well. Like, there's the Romanian there's... national anthem, which, as always, is just an absolute belter. I love yes. the Romanian national anthem more than most songs. Like, <laughs> bloody Paul McCartney, come at me, because you didn't write the Romanian national anthem, and you just write all of these other shit songs instead. Oh, oh I'm Paul McCartney. Probably the sort of thing we're going to learn down the line that Bowie secretly wrote, though. That would be good. I would gain more respect for David Bowie if that was the case. But instead he's like, oh yeah, I wrote Life on Mars. Who gives a shit, mate? It's not the Romanian national anthem, is it, pal? Can, what if it was? Can we talk yeah. about the winky Romanian? Yes. Yes, we can. A Romanian, one Romanian winked twice and one Romanian waved at the camera during the anthem because they're having such a good time. Everyone else is all like, oh, I'm singing my national anthem. I'm going to have a little cry. I'm going to shout it. I'm going to be really passionate rather than being like, this is a fucking belter, lads. Let's have a good time. Let's dance. Let's jump up and down. The anthem kicking off and as the first line is being sung one player not singing but instead leaning into the camera and doing an over the top like Paul Rudd <laughs> wink is the moment I knew we weren't going to see a blood and guts performance like Georgia gave last week <laughs> but Georgia also had a guy wink at the camera last week in the anthem yeah but he was crying in the process <laughs> winking out one eye crying out the other yeah multitasking molten tasking more like like the nice. bloody fire and guts coming out of the entire georgian team compared to all of these like game show hosts playing for romania whilst also being <laughs> hard and massive i do love that he winks twice at the camera yeah. like he could have just blinked 
Well, yeah, it's like, no, it's kind of like he just didn't get it right first time. We've all done that. We've yeah. all tried to wink and not quite got it right, because it's a surprisingly difficult skill. It is, isn't it? It is, because not many people look natural winking. And no. the first time you ever try and do a wink like is on the on the movies, you mm. think like, oh, I'll just pull this off seamlessly. And you do it, and it's like, that was terrible. I just it's shut one like, eye. I don't know if you saw that clip that kind of went viral of Paul Rudd trying to teach these two radio hosts how to do a wink, <laughs> no. like a movie-style wink. And he's so good at it. But, like, both of the interviewers make this, like, involuntary, <gasps> as he does it to them, as he does a proper movie-style wink, because it's so hard to do. And when you see someone do it convincingly, it is magic. And this guy gives it a good attempt, but does not nail it. <laughs> That's a rugby player wink, which is a rare skill. Yes, an almost rare skill. Only Talupe Falatau can do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a good movie-style wink from Talupe Falatau. I believe it's Romeo Godenshek, the 12, but okay. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, but he's played in four different World Cups in which he could have done that wink. Yeah, and maybe, so maybe he does. Maybe he does. Maybe it's Gal thirteen. That probably yeah. makes more sense. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? But, but it's look. It's one of the remaining backs. We'll get back to Gonteniak if we if we're there yeah. covering nineteen ninety nine in a few years time. He's still bloody at it. It's not Dumatrash. It's not Furku. I'm pretty sure it's not Demoff Day. It's not. Yeah, Blake-y. I didn't facially recognise the guy. Yeah. And look, my knowledge of Romania back to this era is above the standard person in the street, but I can't recognise all of them at face instantly with one eye shut. Yeah, and I think we can be forgiven considering we're hosting an audio podcast about them. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. One note on the Romanian team that we didn't cover. We haven't covered. On Gonteniek, because we just mentioned him, right? We talked about this a lot in the 87 series. We haven't got a chance to say this in the 2007 series, I suppose other than Tuopolosu. He has a son currently playing international rugby. His son, Taylor Gontaniak, is currently playing for the Romanian national team. Played for them in the Rugby Rugby Europe Championship this year, when his first cap in 2019. Oh, fascinating. That's cool. He's currently contracted with Claremont Averne, where he mostly plays in the S-Bores, but has played in the top 14. That's very cool. Hopefully he goes on to play in four World Cups. Yeah, has also played for Ruan in the Pro Dida. That will mean that, like, most World Cups have had a Gontaniak playing in them. You're right, yeah. That would be very cool if that does go on to be the case. Yeah, Considering Romania didn't go to one World Cup. If he goes on to play in two, there's an even number of World Cups that have got, have had to not had. How many World Cups have had a Tuolangi play in them? Oh, that's a good question. Did 03 have any Tuolangis in it? It must have done. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Henry won. Fred, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Fred, Fred. 99? I don't think so. No. Let's say 2003 onwards, all of them have. Then yeah, we're looking at about half of them. Did Manu make 2015? Oh shit! Great question. Because he was injured. I don't think he actually played. But no, no Alexander was still did. going. Of course, he scored against Romania. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, anyway, there's an interesting bit of trivia for you about yeah, the Gonteniak family. Yeah, that's a really family. interesting thing. What family has played in the most rugby world cup? I mean, it's probably Lima because Brian Lima's played in five. It's true. <laughs> on no, his but... own. Yeah, so he's played in half of them on his own. Yeah. There's been 10 World Cups. Which is genuinely insane. That is mental. But is there a family... So, obviously, if we get the extended Vinopola, Falatau, Tuopolotu clan, obviously, they've played in all of them. Yeah, They don't yeah, count. Yeah. You know, yeah. we want the same surname, I think. Yes. Ideally. Or if it's, you know, like, I would allow, like, Tommy Allen's mother playing in the first Women's World Cup. Yes. That counts, you know, even though it's a different surname. There's a goodies. Yes. Solid rate. Oh, that's true. If we're counting and men's and women's. Also, it just will be the case that 
there will forever be a Degudi playing in a Rugby World Cup. Like I really hope so. Ten years dispersed at a time in between retirements. There will always be Degudis, I reckon. And that is the best thing that can possibly happen for rugby. Yes. Endless Or at least Canadian rugby. Yes. Degraties. Yes. That's true, actually. That does... I don't know if the Canadian men's team will ever qualify for a World Cup ever again, but... <laughs> Kingsley you know. might quit, you know? Yeah, that'd be Quind- good. Kingsley might just fall in a river one day. <laughs> I can't legally endorse that, but... No, him I like leaving the falling in the river, but he just, like, have a shock in which he realises okay. what he's doing. Yeah, he just falls in the river and he loses his job in the river. And yeah, he goes, yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah. my job, where's it gone? It's oh, like, it's no. been taken in by the tide. <laughs> It's like the end of Inception, when he wakes up from the dream and realises, actually, he shouldn't be a rugby coach after all. (laughs) Exactly. I much prefer my reading that his job gets lost in the waves, but okay. (laughs) Sure. Okay, so the game itself. Yeah. The first thing I have written is just, oh, Jesus, Romania. (laughs) Yep. So three minutes into this game, we get a perfect demonstration of what it's going to be. As many as three. Try one and a half, pal. So, Dan Parks, after... (laughs) Dan Parks. Like, after a few seconds of turgid carries, Dan Parks goes, you know what, it's my kind of night. Hangs it pointlessly (laughs) in the air in the 22. Dumitrash just drops it cold under (laughs) some pressure, but not a huge amount. He just knocks it straight on, straight on the floor. Scotland regather it. They then put through another kick yeah. from which every Romanian goes, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, Fepper, he's just... absolutely done us. There's no and coming there's back from this. Two separate Romanian players who should regather it. Instead, mm. this kick's just bobbling around somewhere on the try line. Somehow, both of them miss it, bounces stripped Chris Patterson, who just falls on it. <laughs> and you've got the stupidest, flukiest try that has ever been scored coming immediately, purely because Romania are kind of shit. I've described Patterson's chip as speculative, right? Yes. Because what he does is he gets the ball. He's probably about three quarters of the way along the pitch between, you know, like towards the touchline, you know, and he chips it towards the corner flag. And the thing is, at that point, the camera pans out and you go, oh, okay, if he's got a winger chasing that, that's pretty good. Then you remember mm. he is the winger that's chasing it. And it's like, oh, okay, so Romania will have this covered. No issue. And no, they just don't. It's so strange. He diagonally chips it and it works, like, in his favour. Because Romania is just so put bad. put in early on in order to keep the wingers up flat and be like, you've got to keep them <laughs> honest, you know, you've got to make sure that they know this is on. Except these bloody scores from it, because they're terrible. Yeah. And it's a, like, I hate to shit on tier two nations, right? And especially at this kind of era when they are giving up so much. And there is, Romania mm. just turned professional, a lot of their players. And it was a very, very different situation. But they're bloody awful in those first <laughs> five minutes. Great, are they? Like, it's about as bad as you possibly can be. Mm. I will add, we've spoken about Julian Dimitras as just like, 
complete fumble of knowing there's a ball in this game. Yeah. Um, in his original fullbacking task. I looked at it and I was just there like, oh my God, that is absolutely woeful that an international fullback has dropped that. And then did you look at the reverse angle of this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ross Ford just completely hits him off the ball and that's why he drops it. And from the first angle, you just can't tell that. And then you look at the reverse angle and just Ross Ford just collides with him. I greatly enjoy the way that he tries to catch it though, which is never yeah. happening with his like his hands out like like a cat trying to suck up water in his mouth. Like a cat drinking milk is how he's trying to catch the ball with like his hands out to like receive an egg. <laughs> he's just hoping as you say, if the ball was made of liquid, that would be a great catch. If the, if it was bloody Dewey's big adventure, it would land in his hands. <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, Dumitrush's big adventure didn't go half as well. But, like, he's trying to catch a cricket ball, not a rugby <laughs> ball. <laughs> yeah, and you look at that and just go, like, okay, great start, well done. But the thing is, we're both fans of good territorial kicking rugby, right? Sure. But you remember those years when Dan Parks played for the Cardiff Blues? And yes, sometimes you'd have, like, Cardiff Blues have got a home game against, like, Connaught when they were shit, Aroni when they existed and were shit, Benetton when they were shit. Sometimes they'll have a home game, it's one of those, right? And then the very first attack of the game, Dan Parks just looks outside him, goes, meh, and then just randomly hoofs it in the air. And you yes. just go, oh Christ, we're in for a really, really long 80 minutes In an here. empty car city stadium. Yeah. You've got Katie no Laulala frustratedly going, I'm completely open at 13. Yeah. I remember there was this one specific game where it was Cardiff against Connor at home and Dan Parks just kicked the leather off it, even if it was in the opposition 22. And there yeah. was one time where he passed to Casey Lalala and he scored the only try of the game when like the Blues were expected to get this bonus point on a Friday night at Cardiff City Stadium. And that was the whole thing. And then Dan Parks just spent the entire game just... just... And the thing is, like... At this point, I was like 12 years old, so I probably didn't know what the phrase kicking aimlessly actually meant because I was being Mm. educated by Jiffy on television. So I hadn't actually learned what good kicking in rugby was. I remember Jiffy very fairly giving Casey Laula the man of the match in that game because he did the only thing that was inspired in any way in the game. And that was entirely justified. And Dan Parks was replaced by Kerry Sweeney with seven minutes left in the game, and that was the biggest cheer of the day. (laughs) The, the funny thing is, you looked at the team sheets of those games, it was like, oh, but Dan Parks is like is the best player who is yeah. playing in this game. Like, he has, other than maybe Casey Lola, who was actually class. But, like, he Dan Parks was the player with the best international rugby career. But, yeah, you, to go back to this game in particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kept having the thought, watching Dan Parks play in this game, same thought I had watching Peter Strenger, of I would have been obsessed with him if I didn't know who he was and I was learning yes. him from watching these games back. If I was watching Dan Parks back, I would develop a completely different relationship to him because here's the thing he's still talked about by scottish fans and by fans who watched him in general as the most negative player in history and if you were watching him and discovering that he would be really funny in a very different way to how he is now when you're looking back on him retrospectively it's just his complete refusal to take contact is really funny and retrospectively fascinates me but like he had a genuinely world-class kicking game and like the games where he was any good whatsoever, like above a three out of ten, he was just totally unplayable and just won his side games. Like, yeah, is so responsible for some of Scotland's biggest wins of his entire career. Mm. 
And some of their narrowest losses. <laughs> yes, that too. But as we covered in 2011. I think this is why this game is uniquely, fascinatingly uninteresting. Mm. Is because both teams are terrible. Like, both <laughs> teams play really badly. But the only thing that works for both teams, both teams have one thing working for them. And in both cases, it's their kicking game. Yeah. It's like Romania's kicking game is their best attribute by such a distance. And you it's say it's working for them. them. It's just about working for yeah, them. Yeah, but it is working for them, yes. I think. So much of their tactics. And I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump around in the game because who gives a shit? Yeah, that's fine. Is Julian Dimitra standing in his own 22 and just thumping it as far as he can? <laughs> I and just so, love like, the sheer lack of accuracy. Twice he does a 22-22 <laughs> where he just kicks it out on the full from his own 22 into the opposition 22. <laughs> twice it's great because both him and dan parks were players capable of that yeah and then you've got dan parks who is doing his dan parks thing and just perfectly dotting the ball on the sixpence in a way that is both impressive and boring (laughs) yeah because you know he's going to get it on the money every time yeah and it's like yeah just because you can do this doesn't mean it's it's at all entertaining like on the wing you've got chris bloody patterson so he's kicking the lever off it as well yeah he's one great moment of managing to dance around tonita at eight Mm chasing and you know puts on a brilliant spiral kick and there's a few moments like that of him doing impressive moments of kicking but mostly it's just kicking and they're both teams are kicking well and then the ball retention the ball protection is awful <laughs> like both teams just give it up constantly they're like just they're just open openly hoping for turnovers like mantra has an absolute field day and at one point he gives away the stupidest penalty you've ever seen where tinku has the ball turned over and it ends up on the scottish side after you know tinky's carried and tonita just walks over and picks the ball up and just runs off with it it's really really funny that and i was actually going to suggest that we very very briefly break the format of this podcast to both together go back and look at that breakdown because i would wager that that is the breakdown where i've seen the single most penalty offenses given away in the history of rugby union so it's on 29 minutes, and I'm going to get it up on my phone now. Basically, Marius Tinku runs sideways a little bit, which is always a speciality, tries to fend off R- Rob Dewey and gets taken high in the process. At which point, <laughs> as he's getting tackled, Jason White goes, yeah, I fancy a bit of that, and then just dives completely off his feet to try and steal the ball. Then Ali Hogg then comes in the side and tries handling the ball on the floor. He's kind of unsuccessful with it. So Manta then just comes in completely the other side and I literally can't figure out what, like how he physically appeared there because there is no chance he's ever been off, onside in any of this movement. I've just been watching this back, right? So do you know what Tonita does? What? He goes to... No, it's not Tonita, sorry. It's Manta. Marta. Marta. He goes to clear out as Tinku's running sideways. Okay. He, so he goes incredibly low to clear out, except Tinku runs further sideways, so he misses the ruck entirely and just falls on the floor, which Probably means he's then lying someone. on the Scottish side. So he then stands up and just sees the ball there and just picks it up and goes, not realising a ruck has formed with 18 penalties in between in the time he was on the floor. And what's, what makes it even better? Nigel Owens penalises him out of all of the things that have gone on, so he just turns around and punches Ali Hogg. I guess done for 10 metres. It's Sean Lamont who tries to start Sean Lamont, them. is it? Sean Lamont. You can tell because both Lamont brothers had the horrible diet air. Oh, yeah. it's It was a real look, especially for Sean Lamont. But I was just 
endlessly fascinated by that ruck. I had to watch it back like three times just because so much went on and none of it was legal <laughs> from both teams. But the, the thing is, right, because both teams have been turning over so much ball, it's not that Nigel Owens has been lenient as a referee. No. It's just been there's been so many turnovers that he probably just thought, oh, brilliant, I'm lucky again here. Because yeah. he gets away with a lot. Mm. Manta and Tinku are two standouts, I think. They both have good games. Mm. Tinku carries very well and obviously comes off just after half time, so we don't see yeah. a huge amount of him. But Manta is a pest at the breakdown. There's a point where just after Patterson's try, mm. I have what I've described as a sympathy penalty given by Nigel Owens to Romania because you can already see what kind of a game it is. And that is Manta going into a breakdown and sort of tickling the ball and Nigel Owens going, yeah, holding on, sure. At which point Dimofte lines up a penalty, which you just know he's going to miss. Yeah, there's no way he's nailing this. I mean, good luck to you, son. You know, yeah. pay for going for it. Enjoy but... it. Enjoy yeah. kicking that ball. Because you're not getting any points from it. You might as well have fun while striking it. Yeah, yeah. And that's clearly what they like, you know. These players just love striking the ball. Hence why they do it <laughs> so bloody often. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a point where Marius Tinku gets away with a phenomenal piece of cheating where Chris Patterson goes on a bit of a run, gets to like five, within five metres of the line, and you can see either the ball or his head suddenly goes flying into the in-goal area, and you're not really sure what's happened there. Then you look at the reverse angle, and you just see that Tinku has just waited there, not even really been that involved in the tackle, but not released him whatsoever, and just fully, like... Has one hand just steadying the ball, gets the other one, fully winds it up a few times and slaps the ball out of his hand into the in-goal area. And it's just, there's probably not a written rule that forbids that in rugby. You just know it's not allowed. Looks illegal, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just the vibes are wrong. Like, if you're refereeing because this, no matter what you're penalising that. From the wide angle that we see there initially, you kind of go... What's happened there? Like, how has Mossy done the biggest knock-on in history to, as you say, go well, well, well past the in-goal area? And then yeah. you, you slowly realise, it slowly becomes clear what's happened from the, the replay. So, Sean Lamont does a incredibly terrible thing where Romania clear it from their own 22, from a five meters, the five-metre scrum following this, and Lamont just fumbles it 10 metres backwards further into touch. Given Romania the line out like 20 metres inside the half. Obviously, Romania are terrible from there. They bob it all up and Scotland end up back on the five metre line. <laughs> yeah, every time Romania really try and do anything, it's essentially just pick and goes, isn't it? Yes. It's essentially, that's just what they're limited to, is they pick and go. If you've got literally nothing to back that up, then you, so it's so cold. easy to defend. So-called the captain after the game said, I think we did too many pick-and-goes in the first half. I'm like, yeah, yeah no think, shit. Yeah. You did nothing else. I can't believe Manta made a break from it. Like, Scotland were yeah. like, oh yeah, this is the only thing we're doing. If we put all our fucking lads into this, like, 15-metre circumference round the breakdown, then we're probably all right because they can't string a pass together. Like, every time 9 or 10 throws the ball, it just goes on the floor, lads. So just don't worry about marking their wingers. Just pretend they don't have one. Just let's all go into this area. And instead, they were just like, okay, that's all they do. Let's just let them through, why don't we? Yeah, all they need to mark is the 15 metres around the breakdown and the backfield. Yeah. <laughs> like, interestingly, this Scotland team, Watching this back, for some reason, they turned into the Fijian team from 1987. Because what they would do 
is they would just, every single time they had any grass in front of them at all, they'd have a bit of a run, and then they'd, they'd go, oh, what are we going to do? I'm going to go left, I'm going to go right, who knows? And then they'd get tackled, they'd get absolutely belted in a tackle, and they'd go off balance and go, okay, I know what we do now, you throw it in the air! And then somebody either does or doesn't catch it. And you rinse and repeat that constantly, until the guy, the nominated one guy in your team, that isn't like that, just goes, nah, fuck fuck this, get in your half, lads, and just yeah. belt the ball 50 metres downfield. <laughs> Until they give it to their fullback with the biggest boot you've ever seen in your <laughs> exactly. life. Exactly, exactly. He just thumps it. And Bloody mega loaded... boot, Dumatras. Uh, oh, no, no, I meant Scotland, mate. I meant Scotland. Oh, because every single ball they just threw an offload on, even if it was oh, yeah, completely yeah, yeah. not on, they would knock on like 50% of their ball. It was so 1987. It's like they split. I can see why you make the comparison for Romania as well, though. They split the Fijian team of 1987 into two entities and had to play each other. <laughs> yeah. They had most of the team and Superboot play each other. Yeah. <laughs> that is what their training sessions looked like, where it was just yeah. 14 of you stick Superboot. Yeah, when you had, like, okay, the super police boys over one side and the rest of you over the other side. <laughs> and the super police boys were just like, we just pass the super boot and let him do it all. Yeah, and, and we then... only concede 42 points in a full 80, 80 minutes. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, keep the score down, fellas. But you know so, what I mean, uh, though? Like, Scotland were fully, like, a 1987 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they just they didn't stupid. take a ruck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally every time they had phase play. And, like, but, you know, let's talk about that Rory Lamont try, right? Where they go through two phases, and it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. well, we'll just score because they're shit. <laughs> but the thing is, they couldn't go through those phases because Scotland's ball retention was amongst the worst I've ever yeah. seen. Because they offloaded it to their own people rucking over. It came off their yeah. knees and dicks into the opposition's hands. <laughs> but, like, the moment a player went to ground, they just kind of put the ball on the Romanian side instead. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, at one point, Mike Blair gets penalised for double movement. And you're like, yeah, good. At least you attempted to place the ball. You know, you didn't just, like, randomly leave it somewhere. And also, he tried to place that on the try line itself. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. That's a whole other case that we'll get to, because there is stuff to say about <laughs> yeah, that particular is. moment. But yeah, I mean, yeah, as I say, we'll look at that, that Rory Lamont try, because they have a scrum, and, mm. th- and I know we're skipping ahead again here, but again, who cares? Yeah, let's they, do it. They have a scrum, and they run a switch on first phase, and obviously the world's largest mammal, uh, Rob Dewey, just goes through the middle, and it's like oh, well, if we're going to contain him, we just have to put absolutely nothing into the next phase. Yeah, they just they so, tilt the Wii remote hard. Yeah. He goes exactly. flying through. He hits that line really well, in fairness. He does, he does. And also, Scotland get genuinely quick ball for like the only time in the entire yeah, game. Yeah, genuinely the only time. And the thing is, then you see that and you're like, oh, yes, Scotland have not offloaded and they've recycled the ball quite quickly. That's pretty good. And the camera pans out and he's like, oh, lads, we're cooking. We're about to cook here. We've got like a six on one overlap. And Dan Parks looks up and he's just there like, it's easy pickings. I can choose my try score here and passes to the one guy who is marked. (laughs) Yeah. It's... Not great pass to the worst option available. Yeah. Catalan Furku, poor old Catalan Furku on that wing completely on his own. It's just like, oh, didn't see that coming. It's an impossible job for him. Because 
He's expecting Pox to throw the Hail Mary. He's like, oh, fair play. He just passed the most obvious one. He double bluffed me. He's made quite a good decision because he's like, they've got Mm. five men over and he marked the one in the middle. So he's like, well, there's two either side. I'll just adjust and tackle them. Because he rules out the obvious one that he's already marking. He's trying to do a good job. So in the end, maybe it was genius, like, bluffsmanship from Dan (laughs) Park. It must have been. To chuck it to the most obvious option available. <laughs> it looks so stupid on the Because Rory Lambert does a tiny little sidestep and Furku's like, oh, okay. And both of them just kind of look at each other like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yeah, very strange try that, but I well mean... taken in the end. Yeah. It's the genuinely maybe the only moment in this game where Scotland looked like a genuine attacking force. <laughs> yes, it is. In this game where they scored 42 and added <laughs> points. <laughs> Oh, man. Ali Hogg scores from a mall. Yeah. Not really much to say about it. But there is a point. I got like 20 minutes into this game. And I realised, like, this game's a little bit familiar. And Mm. do you know where it's potentially familiar from? Because we have actually, believe it or not, we've watched this game hundreds or potentially thousands of times. Because this game is every single game that we've ever played on co-op, on rugby challenge, <laughs> on career mode. They always ended 42 or 49 nil, where you score yep. exactly 21 points in each half because three tries was basically the amount it was physically possible to score. Yeah, if you play on five minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically all you've got time for. And it's just like the exact tries were being, that were being scored and the, the moves and them offloading everything. You made me realise like, oh my God, it's just this is this is just a game of rugby challenge. That I'm watching here. And it did make the next 60 minutes a lot more entertaining when I had that view on it. When I put it that filter on. Explained why the scrums took so long. <laughs> why everyone was saying the same phrases over and over. I don't know. It just seemed like the most rugby challenge game that's ever happened in real life rugby. It's not a bad shout. Not a terrible yeah. shout. There's a weird point where John Taylor just decides for five minutes he's going to call all of the biggest Romanian players little. Which calls you... Marius Tinku little twice. <laughs> it's this little Tinku. It's like, no, he's fucking massive. He's a little tinker, that little Tinku. Nice. The the commentators get so bored in the first half that they spend ages speculating on which way the wind's blowing yes. when they're in the stadium. <laughs> and they keep going back to me like... Pointing. Yeah, I f- yeah, and they start talking about this one, the flag's pointing. What they're up to, they're like, oh, I think the wind's going this way now. Oh, I know it is. I think it's going the other way. No, I disagree with you. No, I've come round. I agree with you now. Like, that's the biggest topic of conversation. And they know all the pubs have got music on. Like, no one's hearing their commentary. Do you have any idea who it is on the co-coms? I'm not sure. No, I don't have a clue. At one point, when Scotland set a scrum, he's, for some some strange reason, he says... I hope that Scotland play through the hands, but I imagine it's going to be a back row move first. It's like, what makes you think, what about rugby in the last 20 years makes you think there might be a back row move first? He just had a feeling, you know, he just felt it in his jellies. It's a back row move time. Back row moves are back. It's Alistair Hogg Day, boy. Yeah. There was that one weird World Cup final in 2014 where Canada played back row moves, but otherwise I don't think they've existed since like... 2001 maybe I just really like the thought it's just like I just have a hunch that you're going to bring them back for this one scrum go on do a back row, back row move lads I dare you they call it Joe Beerman specifically to do them <laughs> yes that is a reference for people who are into Welsh regional rugby in about 2008 yep 
There's a great point where Mike Blair does this beautiful Brian O'Driscoll style one-handed scoop up off the floor. Unbelievable. And all of Scotland just go, nice, and do nothing. Yeah. No one the runs off go, him. Oh. It's the only moment the crowd really reacting to something. Yeah. It's great because, yeah, Blair just scoops the ball off the floor and you're like, oh, that's really nice. This is going to lead to something. And all of Scotland just stands still. And so he has to run backwards. Is, right? You see the ball bouncing on the floor and it's starting to, because it's quite a rain sodden day, you know, mm. got no idea where the wind's going. And you see the ball kind of roll to a stop on the floor and Blair bend down to do that scoop. And you just go, oh, Jesus Christ, don't do this. <laughs> don't do this. We've just watched five scrums in a row. I can't do this now. And somehow he pulls it off and keeps the move going. Yeah. Then as that moment of anyone just see that, anyone want to do anything about it? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or should I just run backwards or into someone? Romania all this time by the way because we're mostly talking about Scotland Romania just doing that thing where they all wait just outside the 22 and they pass right to Doom and try to just thumps it <laughs> as far as he can that's all of their tactics yeah it's that of pick and go so they're already in the opposition half <laughs> well it's funny because we've basically described more or less the full first half here but yeah I think we have what the one last thing on the first half let's talk about the last play of the half because I found that oh, low-key yeah. hysterical because it just keeps going. It keeps going in true rugby challenge fashion. Like both teams are like, oh yeah, we yes. have to score here before. It gets uh, to 60 minutes and everyone keeps knocking the ball yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But what I found hilarious was Romania were like, well, we can't kick the ball because otherwise they'll kick it out and it'll be half time. And like, we're 21 nil down. So there's not much use us kicking the ball out. You know what we have to do? We have to attack. We have to try and play backs attacking rugby. And it's so terrible. Like, seeing them try and string any passes together is genuinely so funny. Just watching that one passage of them just going, well, we don't know what we're meant to do here. Like, 10 gets the ball, and then then what? And they're kind of looking to the sidelines like, okay, how do we attack? But both teams have an attempt to do that and end up just hanging it in the air. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, the last play of the half, both teams just hang a high bomb for no reason. Oh, it's really funny. Like, no one, like, actually does, like, a running line of any description. Or even, like, a sidestep or, you know, like a dummy or anything. They just get the ball and they're just like, so do we just run? What do you do? Just run with it? (laughs) All I've been taught to do is ruck. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. People of an illusion can pass. Is that allowed? (laughs) Exactly. I've got a real soft spot after these first two games for Bogdan Balan. Because yes, I like it. He just <laughs> the tight end. Clearly, throughout his whole career, right, he's played in teams where there is a much more talented prop who is beneath him, who has like real ball skills and stuff. But it's like half of Balan's weight. So they're j- every time, it's like, well, we need we need a bit of weight in our pack, so we'll just pick Bogdan, and that's clearly the story of his career. And he's a perfectly solid tight head. So he spent most of his career in the pro day. You'll be unsurprised to learn. Really? He was part of the Bordeaux team that came up from Federale 1 to the Pro Day Da. He plays and in the league where you get paid an extra grand per kilogram you weigh? I yep. didn't know that. So then, you know, spent plenty of time with Montauban, spent some time with Lyon, where he won the Pro Day Da repeatedly, then seemed to just get relegated with them. <laughs> just like a magnificent career of Pro Day Da antics, and he is an incredibly Pro Day Da player. Yes. You can see why they loved him there. He's a pro tight head, and you just know that from a one glance at him. He's absolutely yep. huge. 
I like him. I like him. I've got time I like for him. him. I like him. I've got a lot of time for Bogdan Balan. Also, he's called Bogdan Balan. He is called Bogdan Balan. But Balan speaking Wonderworld. of speaking of the uh, the props, so I'm gonna just make a really wild assumption about you here, Robbie or Squidge, okay. whatever people want to call you. Um, you. I'm gonna just go out, absolutely out on a limb and suggest you didn't watch the halftime coverage. No, I didn't. Okay. Well, you missed precisely one thing there. And that was where the co-coms said that Romania were too erect in the scrum. (laughs) Nice. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. Here's the... Yep. Um, Hey, who hasn't been there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Alan Jacobson wasn't playing, so they don't really have much of an excuse. It's true. It's true. Dave Cherry, a future... Yes. Anyone. That's why you pick him, because <laughs> opposition front rounds at two erect. Exactly. And you can't win scrums with an erection. I've heard. Yeah. I don't believe it. I can't say I've ever won a scrum with an erection. As, <laughs> thank you. As Oxon Shea said, erections don't win scrums. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, second half. Yes. Simon Taylor throws the ball through his legs at a scrum. And it just goes straight to Lucian Serbu. Yeah. He didn't throw um, it through his legs. He just like shuffles it, like rolls it through his legs. Yeah. And it goes straight I mean, to the so opposite nine. It's funny. There's a kind of horror moment where Kalafianu comes on and his literal first touch is like the absolute stuff of nightmares. Taught me through it. So at this point, the player that would go on to play forever... He was only 22 at this point. He'd been in the Romanian team since he was 19. Yeah. Um, so I've hung around for quite a long time. You know, good player. Great player. Had a really, really great career. Really good you looking know. guy. Can't yeah, 100 honey. cap. Like, he's an 100 oh, cap wow, international. You know? He's done all right for himself. Yeah. So, Galvatanu comes on, goes to set up a box kick, no blockers in place, and Mike Blair goes, oh, I've made this mistake before. <laughs> I've done this. And just, like, lingers around for, like, a minute with his hands in the air. Like, right in front of him, waiting him to step up and take the kick. Like, he could have come in and made the tackle on him before he got the ball away. But he just waits for him, <laughs> charges him down, regathers it, runs, like, 70-odd metres, whatever, and then gives the pass to the man on hand, Alistair Hogg, who runs to him for a second try. It wasn't actually Blair who got the charge down himself. Okay. So you realise from the, from the second angle, it was Taylor who got the charged down. Oh. It was Simon Taylor and he actually picked it up and did a reverse pass but the camera what? was panning at that point so you don't see it so it's Mike Blair. It just I thought it was just the Blair charged Yeah. Yeah. There's like wow. a, a tiny little reverse pass by ta- Simon Taylor and it's really nice. This comes about one minute after an incident we referenced earlier which also involves Mike Blair because we have a point where second row Christian Petra attempts a dive pass. Yes we do. I kind of just put it out of my head. I don't even have it in my notes. My brain just went like, oh, okay. Okay, that's that's fine. Christian Petra scored the, the accidental try. No, it that wasn't. Was, that was Lukacs. It was... No, it wasn't. It was the other second row from yeah, Romania in 2015. Yeah, I've forgotten the name of. Because it is going to come to me over the course of this podcast, and I will just yell it. Valentino Sache. No, it wasn't. Was it not? No, it wasn't. Um, Popan. Popolan. Oh, Popolan. Valentin Valentin Popolan. Popolan. There we go. There we go. Keep that in. That's okay, good. Cool. That's what we're like off air. <laughs> yes, literally every conversation we have is like that. Every conversation is just trying to remember the name of a Romanian second row from <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. It's tragic. God, life's depressing. It's all there is. This is all there is to life. Have you ever stopped to question that? 
So Christian Petra, second row of like 115 caps for Romania, mm. attempt to dive past a Dumitrash. And as we say, Dumitrash, absolutely massive boot on him. But it does take about three to five working days to get set in the pocket, doesn't he? Mm. Having a flying dive pass hurled at you by Christian Petra really doesn't help with that process. So he gets charged down and we do reach a point where... Yes, Ali Hogg gives the ball to Mike Blair, who then there's a, set, a split second where you can go, Mike Blair might go for the line here. Mm. He gets tackled, and as you as you, as you you mentioned earlier, he gets done for double movement because he picks the ball up yeah. and crawls himself and goes for it. You said there's a lot to unpack here, and I invite you to do so. Well, I mean, you say he gets charged down. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't does catch the ball. He doesn't catch the ball. Sorry, his his catching of the ball is what gets charged down. That's it. Yeah, it's just one of the most horrific moments of game management. Because the thing is, this has been Romania's tactic the whole way, <laughs> and it just bites them on the ass very suddenly out of nowhere. Yeah, as soon as the second row tries a dive pass, yeah, you kind of know at that point this probably isn't going to be sound. Yes. If your entire tactic is we've got one large massive boot who's going to just thump it, which is their entire tactic, <laughs> right? You want to at least have the right players in position to execute your one incredibly basic tactic. Yes. So forgive me, he doesn't get charged down. He just doesn't catch the ball. Yeah. There are shades of boxies to this. Yes. It's all a bit tragic. Feel for basically everyone involved. <laughs> Petra, Dumatrash, Blair, all of the lot. Blair does get criticised for the fact that he has a man either side of him and doesn't pass it. But as that is being mentioned on the comms, you can literally see Jim Hamilton pointing at the try line saying, yeah, please score yourself. We then get through the try. Yes. And as I say, Blair passes on this one very unselfishly after what happened yeah. one minute earlier to Hogg. Alistair Hogg then pops up and scores a hat-trick and I'm like, oh yeah, he's playing. Yeah. Which is weird. Really weird thing where he's completely anonymous apart from his free tries. Yeah. And so I kind of forgot he was on the field in whenever he wasn't scoring a try. Yeah, and it's 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 a very strange hat trick. But that third try is just a weird one as well. It's just Simon Webster runs sideways and kind of like if you're Israel Dag that works. If you're Simon Webster, why is that working? Because he's but, class, mate. Yeah, evidently. But he runs sideways and floats a pass forward <laughs> to Ali Hogg who just kind of, like, falls in the corner. It's just as an exciting try as I've made it sound. So he puts that in. Mossy nails the touchline conversion, because good on him. Yeah. Petra puts in a phenomenally high tackle on Dan Park. <laughs> yes, he does. It's, like, it's so high in the lead-up to that try. At this point, the rugby is basically done for the afternoon. <laughs> Craig Smith comes on, and he looks like a Lord of the Rings action figure. I don't know who Craig Smith yep. is, but... He was playing. Yeah, you've got... So there's a point in which, like, around this point, I was like, I think Mike Blair's my leading contender for Man of the Match. And then they bring him off immediately. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, it's bloody Chris Custer time, isn't it? And Chris Custer is completely anonymous. In a, it's very rare that you can see a scrum half come on and you don't notice he's on the field. But Chris <laughs> Custer has that kind of impact. Sure, sure. Chris Custer, great player. Yeah, I was a big fan of Chris Custer. To, but remain as such. Silent. Yeah. Uh, Nicky Walker comes on. It's finally time for Nicky Walker World Cup. Yeah. Nicky Walker comes on and they move Chris Patterson to 10, which is for yes. maximum pace in the back line. Okay. Are you ready for the game? The game we've all been waiting for? What's the game we've all been waiting for? Nicky Walker World Cup. Oh. Okay. 
it's time for the Nicky Walker World Cup because this is officially a Nicky Walker World Cup now. Yes. Nicky Walker, one of the biggest Scottish wingers to ever play for the Ospreys and be sponsored by a chocolate brand, at least in the top three. Yeah. He's played for both Ospreys and Hoik, I will add. Uh, like, yes. He's, he moved to Hoik from the Ospreys. Oh, no, we moved to Edinburgh for a couple of years, then to Hoik. Worcester. Worcester. Okay, fair enough. That was completely spanking bullshit there. But either yeah, way, he... instead of retiring at the top of his game, he decided he was going to give back and go back to Hoik, and I kind of love that. Yeah. Instead of retiring at the top of his game, he decided to never have one. <laughs> he was a good player for the He's Ospreys. He's a good player. He's a good player. Good try scorer. He's one of those players who got a lot of stick because he was a winger who was never very quick. And they they nicknamed him McLomu when he was like 21. How do you think that yeah. was going to end? Just because he's Cause quite he was, big. Yeah, he was just big. He was a big, big lad. Yeah. He was six foot five and 16 stone as a winger in the noughties. Like, you were going to get compared to Nonu, Lomu, <laughs> weren't you? But it's time for Nicky Walker World Cup. The best game, okay? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to tell me which one's my, your favourite, okay? Okay. Aberdeen or Hoik? Hoik. Hoik, that was where you went to school. Cool. Wing, right wing or left wing? Left wing. Left wing, cool. He could play both the two positions he could play. But he was primarily a left wing as far as I was concerned. Romania or Romania? Romania, I would say. Okay, so it's his first cap versus first rugby world cup appearance. So we're going for right. his first cap. And we're oh, God, going uh Ospreys or Worcester? Or oh, Ospreys. Okay, okay, okay. So we now ask Hoik or Left Wing. <laughs> oh I see. I would say left wing. Left wing, okay. That's okay. so woke, wing isn't it? Final, <laughs> cool. So we have. Do you say Ospreys or Worcester? Which one? Which one? Won? I said Ospreys. Cool. <laughs> what was the other question? Um. Oh, it was Romania. Oh, so Ospre- Ospreys or Romania? I would say Ospreys. I reckon they beat Romania. Okay, cool. So the final Ospreys versus left wing. Oh well, it would be the wokest thing in the world to pick left wing. So you're saying. Left He's wing saying, wins Nicky Walker World Cup. The left wing wins the Nicky Walker World Cup. Please join us again if Nicky Walker ever plays again in a Rugby World Cup. <laughs> well, we'll find eight more facts about Nicky Walker. Look, he got injured in the lead up before the 2011 World whoa, Cup. So whoa, he didn't whoa, get don't blow them. Okay, next time well, we no. play Nicky Walker World Cup, getting injured might be one of the facts on there. Yeah, we, I'm just saying we didn't get a second series. Oh, I see, I see. In 2011. He didn't play in 2011, so this is the first time we've got to talk about Nicky Walker in the World okay, Cup. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and it's true, and hopefully it happens again. Oh, I'm really 2023. Mate, they're playing the All Blacks next. Oh, go on. We Nicky. can but dream of round two of the Nicky Walker World Cup. Exactly, exactly. There's a point where John Taylor says on commentary, as usual, when a flanker tries to kick, it's not very clever. John Taylor was a flanker who was known for kicking goals. That was the most famous thing about, that was his selling point. And he was really bloody good at it. Yeah. So clearly he's quite salty about people making those judgments on him. And this is like him and his grievance period. Can I tell you something? <laughs> Go on, you can tell me anything. I don't think I've got anything else written down for the game. Oh, I've got plenty, mate. I've got plenty, but it's like... I don't know if I want to talk about it, though. Yeah, I've but... got Rory Lamb and Great Try, actually. Let's let's do that later, okay? Because yeah. there's a really interesting point that I feel like if you've not written it down, you've missed it. And when I say interesting, I mean, right, interesting. All I'm saying is, we're coming up an hour and a half, and I don't want to do another three-hour episode. I know, we'll, we'll get Scotland. through this. We'll get through this. The fourth official passes the ball 
to Rory Lamont whilst the ball is in play. What? Yes. So, on the actual YouTube video itself of this game, Mm. which I recommend nobody goes and watches, but Mm. it occurs one hour and 12 minutes into that, okay? Romania put in a little grubber kick just short of the Scottish try line, so inside the opposition 22. And the ball at one point bounces onto the touchline and then back into the field of play. Christoph Burdos, the touch judge, doesn't put his flag up. He doesn't notice that the ball's gone out. So at that point, the fourth official, who is stood in the like dead ball area just off the field, goes to like catch the ball just because like somebody will want it. You know, it's just being convenient, but doesn't realise that Christoph Burdos hasn't put his flag up. So he catches the ball one-handed and pops it up to Rory Lamont, who's running onto the ball, and Nigel Owens hasn't blown his whistle. So Rory Lamont then puts the ball down and they play a 22 dropout and they don't go back for the fact the ball went out. So that technically, the fourth official has had a direct impact on this game and therefore the result is null and void. That's a medic. Is it a medic? I think it's a Scotland team medic. I thought he had an official's jersey on. I'm going to take another look at this. Yeah. This is bizarre. It's I mental. It completely. Somebody who is not playing touches the ball whilst play is ongoing and it is counted as part of the canon of the, of the match. It's not blown up. That ball up. goes out. Yeah. Yeah. But the toucher doesn't notice that. I think that's a Romanian medic. You think? Because <laughs> it's got the yellow and blue stripe. Oh, I guess Like so. the Romanian kit. Maybe so. I assumed it was an official. But that's... No, he's wearing Romanian socks. Okay. Oh, interesting. So it's a Romanian medic touches or the ball while not playing. maybe even like a Romanian squad player. Yeah, that's, that's also He's possible. wearing a hat so you can't see very clearly his face or anything. Yeah. So that is, that's a Romanian who steps into the field of play, handles the ball. Because that ball goes out beforehand, the yeah. referee doesn't notice. No, they don't notice. So that, they is, just doesn't notice. that is part of what is part of the game. Because play goes on from there, and it impacts the entire next, what, 20 minutes or whatever, half hour of the game. Yeah. I mean, that uh, when I say that, I mean, it doesn't impact it at all, because the ball was going to bounce into Lamont's hands regardless. But Lamont receives a pass from somebody who's not playing, and therefore I think that the result should be null and void. Scotland cheated. Romania would have come back into the game if not for that happening. I think so. I think he really let his own team down, that Romanian who did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And therefore, World Rugby should just say that this this entire fixture just, yeah, null and void. Yeah. Wow. What an odd thing. Yeah. We've not had that really before, other than dogs, but... Dogs. Yeah. Human on the pitch! Human on the pitch! But yeah, the game was directly impacted by someone who wasn't playing. Pretty cool. Mm. Romania have a really long attack in the Scottish 22. Attack. And they're bloody terrible. Yeah, it is so bad. There's not really anything going on with that. The only moment of joy in this entire game, mm-hmm. right? There's, I guess maybe like Alistair Hogg has stuff. But there's a moment where the commentator says, we've only got five minutes that's left to go. <laughs> and he's so excited. I think there are more moments of joy as soon as Scott Lawson comes on. Okay. Scott Lawson comes on and just turns into Pete Carlos Spencer. And it's like. No, he doesn't. Yes, he's incredible. No, he doesn't. He's so good when he comes on. And I'm like, wait, maybe we were right. Maybe he is the best player in the 2007 Rugby World Cup. The first thing he does when he comes on, his first touch of the ball is a backdoor flick to Chris Cusseter. It's class. I refuse your hypothesis. None of this happens. 
It did, but then what actually didn't happen afterwards, but sort of did, is Scotland had a knock-on advantage, and Tofang gets this intercept and just runs like 50 metres, and Romania tried to score a spectator try. One Scotsman gets back, I'm assuming it's Rory Lamont, makes a tackle. Sure. Loads of Romanians like follow up and support, and they still can't score against one guy. Obviously, it's long after the whistle's gone. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a complete spectator try they're going for, and Romania just can't score past one Scotsman. Oh, and they that's... try playing phases and stuff. The whole thing is tragic. There's a moment in the first half where Tonita tries to run a spectator try in and like stumbles slightly, <laughs> and then gives up and goes back to join the real that's play. Awesome. Oh, it's just, it's so horrible to watch. But unfortunately, Nigel Owens has stood there 50 metres upfield. Like, yeah, sorry, lads, but you kind of have to come back up here. Please come back up here. We need to get this over with. I've yeah. got a farm to return to. <laughs> As you say, Romania spend ages in the Scotland 22. Doesn't look like scoring at all. Like, not threatening the slightest. Scott Lawson comes up with a big turnover and Patterson belts it like 70 metres. And then they're into what? In the modern day, would probably be described as a kicking battle, but realistically, what I mean by that is Ferku gets back and just goes, is this what I'm meant to do? And just punts it really high into the air. And that's kind of what happens. And then, you know what happens after that? Scott Lawson! I don't believe any of this happens. Scott you Lawson! You watch a different game. Scott you Lawson watch... gets the ball. No. Steps inside, does a dummy, does this amazing offload, and Rory Lamont scores. It's incredible. No, it didn't happen. I'm sorry. What have you got against Scott Lawson? It just didn't happen. None of this happened. You're making this all up. It did. No, it didn't, actually. Look, if you're listening to this, go and watch this game. Go and watch this game, because all of this happened. Providing, providing, you're going to have to go and watch it again. McCoy's in a pub <laughs> in Scotland somewhere. You're going to have to go watch it again because no. you're misremembering this. Okay, no, you're going to have to verify this. Scott no. Lawson was just like a world class fullback with his dummy and step inside, and the offload was genuinely so so good. Just what a player! And yeah, Rory Lambert is an all right support line. You want to know what the uh, match report says of this passage, where you're saying? Oh, Scott Lawson's the best player of all Why time. Why do you hate front rowers doing amazing, do you know, fun Do you know what the steps? match report says? What? The final quarter was a distinctly stale affair. Yeah, it was, which makes it even more amazing that he did something good in it. No, it doesn't happen. You're so boring. You hate rugby. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> okay, great. I do hate rugby. The last thing I've written down in the entire game is Chris Cousins absolutely blows a 2v1, like, off the kickoff. Oh, yeah. Where he tries running in field for no real reason and doesn't really draw anyone in and throws a forward pass. And that's more or less the game over? Sort of sums it up. Like, I think an awful lot of what happens is these are two teams with the same strengths and weaknesses, but one of them has players of a notably better quality, which sounds mad when you're talking about Rob Dewey. But the fact of the matter is, right... If you're in these situations where nothing is happening and it's boring, but then someone falls off a tackle and it's Sean Lamont bursting through, it's a very, very different matter <laughs> to Gabriel Brezegolne. I didn't even notice he was playing, I'm afraid. 71 caps. Oh, well. I mean, fair play. He must have been good. Him. He must have been good. Yeah, this was the end of his career. Right. He'd been going since the mid-90s. I feel bad for shitting on Romania so much in this game, but they weren't great. No, they, the thing is, they really weren't. 
Like, Romania were rubbish, Scotland were rubbish, but Scotland just had a calibre of players who were used to playing at a higher standard. Yeah. And some of that allows you, if you've got... Which they did, you know, in the, the Lamets were game-breakers. Like, Rory Lamont has a good game. Yeah. Simon Webster was one of those players who was a really good, like... I believe the phrase is flat-track bully. He was a sort of player who, if you put him against a terrible team, he will score, like, six tries. Yes. Yeah. Hence what you're saying about him being great at Magnus League level. Yeah. Like, he was just great at scoring against teams worse than him, but he would go missing against bigger teams, I think. Sure. I think that's not entirely unfair to say of him. No. Yeah, the one great game Which is extremely commendable. Yes. Yes. But the All Blacks were a terrible team, so... Yeah. yeah. Not as good as Romania. Not a vintage game. A good result for Scotland, but little else, really. And Jason White wasn't best pleased about it in the post-match interview. He just said, like, we've got the All Blacks coming up. We're probably fucked if we play like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think he's probably not too far wrong to say he won 42-0. I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah, we'll get there. Join us and potentially Rhiannon Garth Jones to find out. (laughs) Let's do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, then. Let's. Okay. Should we do Dick of the Day first? Yeah, I'm giving mine to Christian Petra for doing the world's highest tackle and the world's highest dive pass. <laughs> Fair enough. Or lowest dive pass, I suppose. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a oh, it's a hard one to pick, isn't it? It's like a lot of contenders out there throughout throughout the teams. But I'm going to give mine to Frank Haddon. <laughs> Go on. Because he could have stopped this. <laughs> could have called the game early. Yeah. Or at the very least, given us more Nicky Walker. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Is Nicky Walker your man of the match for playing no. in the World Cup? Oh. No, I just, there's just something about like, look at how, that is a team that is completely unbalanced. <laughs> what were you expecting? There's a way you could have made this sensible. And true. there's just this whole like horrible negativity to the way Scotland play. Yeah. And it's miserable. They won because they're better than them <laughs> rather yeah. than anything else. <laughs> Which, like, cool, it's a good reason to win. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But you know what I like, mean. Yeah, it's, look, in a really hard game to pick, like, the entire Scottish team and most of the Romanians were in contention. <laughs> and I think, you know what, the coach having suggested they do all of this feels to me like a fair shout. Yeah, fair enough. Scotland won by 42 points. Like, it's a really good result, but, yeah. I, I get it, I get it. Dick of the... Oh, wait, we've just done that. Man of the Man match. <laughs> What do you reckon? So I had Mike Flair down for quite a while because I think he, I thought he was very good. Direct hands in two of the tries. Yeah. Solid. The official man of the match was Alistair Holt because he scored a hat-trick, but I literally don't think he did anything else. <laughs> I do have him written down because he scored a hat-trick and that's the only yeah. reason why. I can't have Rory Lamont written down because I think he's good whenever he gets involved, but there's not much colour to the game. And so, you know... Him being the one guy that brings a paintbrush doesn't really do much for me. I think I'm going to stick with Mike Blair, but it's reluctant. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Chris Patterson, I think maybe, I don't know, mention him. But yeah. In a turgy Yeah, I'm sticking game, with Mike Blair, but like, I'm not going to talk about how great he was. Fair enough. Like, I wish I could give this vote to someone else who was brilliant in another game that I didn't get to give Man of the Match to. Yeah, I get that. I get Rather that. Rather than by default I, I having to go, I guess it's Mike Blair. <laughs> I'd say I, I wrote down... 
Ali Hogg just because he scored three tries. But yeah. I don't think I can really give it to him. Before the game had kicked off, we even looked at the team sheets. I wrote down Scott Lawson because he's on track for player of the tournament. Then he came on and genuinely was really, really class. And I was like, oh, yeah. holy shit, like, what's going on here? He's been playing 15 minutes and he's done three things. That's as many as Ali Hogg's done. And he's been playing 80. <laughs> like, he's, he's the joint most things done in this game. And the other guy I had written down is the Romanian medic for touching the ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be funny if I gave it to Scott Lawson because I genuinely think he was great. Yeah, screw it. Scott Lawson, keep him in the race with Fauri Dupria. Scott Lawson draws level with Fauri Dupria for player of the tournament. <laughs> Deservedly so. He was genuinely really good off the bench. I'm not doing the whole like... Because I totally fixed Timothy the Dog winning 1987's yes, the tournament. And I'm not going to do that this time round. I wholeheartedly promise, unless I genuinely wholeheartedly believe that he's the best player in the 2007 Rugby World Cup. But let me tell you, he's currently joint with Fauri Dupria, and he is nowhere fucking near on that. Like, he's played well in two games, right? But he's not been Fauri Dupria good, so I'm not going to fix I- that unless... Can I tell you who's now in second? Who? Akapusi Ungera and George Gregan. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a perfectly balanced list. I think it's fair enough. Okay. Scott Lawson cool. was genuinely really good. I'm not I'm not trying to fix this. I wholeheartedly right, promise. Right, whatever that. you say. Genuinely um, he was great. He only played fifteen minutes, but he did as many things as people who've been playing all game. You keep telling yourself that. So please join us next week. When we'll be looking at more of the rugby. We'll be keeping in this pool. Keeping in Pool C. The cool pool, as they call it. <laughs> That's what they call it. That's what the C stands and for in Pool C. We will be looking at Italy's win over Portugal. Oh, yes. That a game that I think is slightly less cursed. I think that would be all right. That sounds good to me. Yeah. I like you Portugal know, It's more so competitive. Far. Like, it should be a bit of fun. Portugal, always good value. Yeah. Please join us that week. Hopefully we'll have a guest. We'll see. But all will be well with the world when you are happy, when you are joyous, and you have thankfully escaped the curse of Scotland 42, <laughs> Romania nil. A game that nobody should ever watch and we should not have done this podcast on. This game's taken like four hours of my life now or something. It's stupid. Yeah, I've got to edit this, mother. <laughs> so sorry. Thank you for listening. Thank you well, even more than ever. And we will see you all next week. Good night. Sponsored by Dewey's Big Adventure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.